Hello and welcome to How to Start Up, a podcast for anyone starting a company in 2020. This is a collection of conversations with people who have all successfully started, run and even sold their own companies, sharing not only professional but personal experiences on what we should be doing now, next or never. In this episode we speak to Baha who, having faced bankruptcy during the global financial crisis, is very much able to speak from the heart about what it is to be an entrepreneur. Baha values hard work and self-belief and reminds us there's absolutely no shame in asking for help. And she also talks about how setting up a business is much like being in love. If you've done it once, you can do it again. Hi, Baha. Thank you so much for joining How to Start Up today. I'm so excited to chat to you. It would be wonderful if you could give a little introduction as to who you are, a bit about your background and your company, if possible. My name is Baharitman and I have a business in Australia called Rescue. It's a publishing business, women's lifestyle site. I actually launched it about 15 years ago. It was an adjunct to a cosmetic distribution business that I had. And I was getting so much PR for the brand and I was only in a limited number of stores. So I approached one of the department stores that I had a big business with and I said, how would you feel about me opening an online store for my brands? And he famously said to me, I'm into bricks and mortar not click some more to do your worst. And so um, strangely, online retail has really boomed. I wonder why. But uh, I actually found myself down the barrel of near bankruptcy during the GFC with my distribution business. I lost half a million dollars in foreign exchange over a few days. And then the bank margin called me. And in order to pay back the bank, I actually had to close my business to get money out of it. And by the time I closed my business and paid back the bank, I actually owed $960,000 at the end of those two weeks. And the only thing I had left was the URL for my website, rescue.com.au. I had no products to sell on it. And I had a online newsletter that I used to publish bi-monthly called The Rescue Report. And in this newsletter, I used to have beautiful content curated by great editors. And it was about everything except the products that we sold. It was kind of a lifestyle bulletin. And it had a surprise surprisingly high number of subscribers. So I had the database, I had the URL, I had nothing else. So I decided to fashion myself as a publisher and editor. And a friend of mine who's the then editor of InStyle magazine said, all you have to do is think of three or four avatars of who you're publishing to and call one, you know, Betty from this suburb, call another one, Susie from another area and get their profile in your head and just publish to them. The other thing that I did is I did a survey of the database that I had to find out who they really were. And I had an amazing uptake. I had something like 9,000 people reply to it. So I had an incredible amount of data. And one of the things that I found out is the people who'd subscribed to this rescue report, to this newsletter, were AB women, very interested in expert advice. And they love that we were publishing this newsletter with advice from non-journalists. And so it occurred to me, I was 35 at the time, that I also like expert advice. And when I have a problem or I have a curiosity, I will go to my little black book of experts. And so I decided to reach out to my little black book of experts, which were designers, property gurus, finance experts, naturopaths, interior designers, all the people that are, you know, top their field that I'd accumulated as my little go-to. And I asked them if they would write for Rescue. And so I launched Rescue off the back of this concept, expert advice for a fabulous life. And without being self-conscious about my lack of publishing or editing experience, I just, because of sheer necessity and owing $960,000 to the National Australia Bank, (laughs) I started a business 
And I started publishing and I started selling my database to the same department store who gave me permission to start my online business. I sold the EDM database for their advertising and my business was born. And it was just a case of you putting your best foot forward and going, right, I'm in a crisis. How do I solve this? It was my only foot forward. And what I did is I had to really quickly take an audit of my assets, my attributes as a business person, my assets from a business perspective. You know, what did I have that I could turn into selling? And what I had was an excellent network. What I had was the ability to sell. I could sell ice to Eskimos. That is true. (laughs) And I had gumption. You know, I still had drive and the ability to turn up and sell myself. The other thing that I realized, Juliet, which was really nice, and I tapped into this resource again recently with what's been going on this year, is that people love to help you. And you forget that people are actually very kind and love the opportunity to shine, love the opportunity to showcase their expertise, their kindness, their philanthropic side. And so the minute I started asking people for help, all these people wanted to help me. And so they became the wind beneath my wings and kind of breathed life back into to me when I thought, you know, I was out. How quickly from that moment of there's a global financial crisis, my business is disappearing before my eyes to the idea that you had? So the idea came really quickly because I actually couldn't let the other business go. I was so emotionally wedded to it and my ego just couldn't accept it. Now, I made a decision not to go bankrupt and I decided I would pay back the debt. So I double mortgaged a property that I had and it made the 960000 like a house loan. So I knew exactly how much my repayments were each month. So I set that as my goal for earning, plus I added to it what I would need to live on. Obviously, how I lived became a lot more frugal, but I I knew exactly what my repayments would be. And that became my motivation. And once I knew what the target was, once I chunked it down, I just put my head down, bum up, as they say in Australia. (laughs) I was like a little worker bee. And I do find that having a very specific target is just one of life's magic things. But if you know where you're going, you often get there. And I did consulting as well. So I covered my living expenses off consulting because that was obviously one of the assets that I had was business experience. I'd run a distribution business. I'd been GM for two companies for the Estee Lauder Group. I'd been general manager of Gucci timepieces. I had an MBA. I had a commerce degree. So I understood business. And so that was a tradable skill. The other thing that was immediately tradable was that database that I had. And then the next thing that was tradable was advertising on the site. So I had three income streams going. And together, I was able to cobble enough to repay the massive loan and also cover my living expenses. And then the more I did it, the more I did it. (laughs) Yeah, it's absolutely incredible because faced with a bank telling you you need to declare yourself bankrupt and you went no I don't I'm going to find another way that grit and determination and obviously today rescue.com.au is incredibly successful congratulations I've actually had the moments where I was truly one of the most successful independent publishers in Australia and then I've had moments where I haven't earned a cent and this year was absolutely dire I mean I would say from March to August it was bleak I was on my knees that real feeling of, okay, you're done now. And I nearly sold the business twice this year, but both deals fell through and they were awful. And then something happened in me and I just went, you know what? One more time. And I decided that what I would do is use this time to go back to all the things that I hadn't done and I'd been lazy about. So I just went back to basics. I redesigned the site. I resurveyed the audience. I commissioned some market research. I reskilled. I got my mojo on to do social media different and 
a business is really the soul and the energy of the entrepreneur who's behind it. So if you're flat, if you're disinterested, if you're not invested, the business is uninteresting to others and not productive. So when I re-entered from a spiritual and also physical re-entry into my business, it was almost within a matter of two weeks, things started to shift. My energy became contagious, so people again wanted to help me, and I put my hand up again and I said, I need help. And as soon as I did that, I was able to get the support that I needed. And then, you know, momentum brings its own momentum, and I was off again. It's <laughs> amazing. Well, I think that the thing that we forget as entrepreneurs is that you did it. So it's kind of like falling in love. If you've been in love before, if you've been married and divorced before, you can either know and bank that good feeling that you've experienced love and romance and excitement. And if you've done it once, you can do it again. And the same with the business. You know, if you've had a business before, if you started it from scratch, if you were able to grow it, if you were able to make it financially viable, it's all you. So you can do it again. It's just a matter of, are you willing to risk getting your heart broken again? Are you willing to risk losing your business again? It's kind of, I use the same analogy. And if you're willing to re-enter the arena, you can pretty much guarantee that you can do it again. I feel like from what I witnessed in the last six months is that anyone challenged will find a way around it. People don't tend to give up. And if you're faced with a problem, as you said, if you put your hand up and ask for help, it's incredible what people will do to give you their advice or support you. What was the most surprising thing you have learned about yourself becoming your own boss? Becoming my own boss, I realized that I actually had a lot more respect for the bosses I've had before. When I was within a company, I didn't respect how hard it was for the CEO, for example. But when I had my own business, I realized that really the top, top person has really sacrificed so much for you to have a great photocopier, has really sacrificed a lot personally for that Christmas party that you take for granted in a job. You're so right. <laughs> and when it's your own bottom line, you're like, does that need to be spent? Is that priority? You asked the question of how necessary is it exactly as you said. Do you have any advice for people starting out on how to manage clients or teams or suppliers? I would say documenting things and setting up systems for the business you want to have is really important. Don't nickel and dime the big important services. Do not nickel and dime accounting advice and setting up the structure of your company correctly. Get that advice up front and plan for the future of your business. Do not retrofit that stuff. It's so expensive. You think it's expensive now getting some real advice, some real legal advice, some real accounting advice, but it's just so massively expensive retrofitting that later or if you want to bring in a partner or if you get in trouble legally if you haven't set up correctly for your liability to be you know mitigated get insurance get legal advice get good accounting advice and get a bookkeeper or great accounting software those things you can't figure that stuff out on your own you shouldn't learn it on the fly leave it to the experts i find it quite exciting when i have a great chat with the accountant because I learned so much. The things that they can help you with and they can fix problems you didn't even know sit with an accountant. And something that you said about insurance, not many people have talked about that. They've said, get a good accountant, set up a business bank account. But insurance is really important. And each business will need a different type of insurance, but it's absolutely worth looking into from day one. It is worth looking into and you don't want to be caught short on those things. And, you know, they should be tax deductible and an insurance broker or your accountant will give you some advice as to, you know, what are the minimum things you you should have. And then the other thing that I would look to is there's so many new apps and software things that make life easy, even like Canva. Oh, Canva. What you used to have to buy as templates, it's all free. It's all there. Start professionally, do your things nicely and file 
things away correctly. Start all of those little processes correctly from the beginning because it actually stands you in really good stead as you scale up. My brother's advice was sort all my passwords out. And now I've got a system that takes zero seconds to log into anything. I swear it saved me hours. And that low-level panic that you have every time you go to log into something. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Well, it's true. I now know I don't know the password, so there's no point even guessing. So I now know I need to use the software every time. So it's anything to save time, anything to find those efficiencies. And they're really rewarding when they're up and running. What would your advice be about pricing your product or yourself or your service or your business? Well, that's a really good question. I think one of the things that I learned when I was in importing and product management is that you really have to price not just the physicality of things, but the ephemeral things. Because most Most businesses lose money on the way they price things. You have to put in the cost of your office, your travel time, your time, and you have to pay yourself. If you were not paying yourself in a business and you haven't costed that into the structure of the business, you're going to find yourself in trouble. And in pitching for new business, do you have advice about how people might approach this if they're new to this? I would say this is the one thing that I find. When people pitch me for rescue, I would say 99% of PRs that pitch me have really not looked at even the site before they've gone on. Sometimes they've never looked at the site. And I find that it's so lazy. And if they pitch me correctly, eight times out of 10, we'll work with them. So your chances of pitching correctly by doing just a teeny, teeny bit of research, which is so easy. It might be looking up that person on Instagram. It might be going onto their website. It might be looking at who their competitors are. Just honestly, 15 minutes of research before you pitch will transform your luck. The PR analogy for that is fantastic, actually, because you should never pitch to a journalist if you can see they're on holiday on Instagram. Wait until they're back and give them a couple of days to catch up. Always send the email at the beginning of the day and do the research around what they've written before. And anyone else that isn't, say, in comms, if they know their audience and if they're selling apples to a cider maker saying, we really enjoyed the product you launched last year and we feel that our apples could really benefit. Just do the legwork. It's so true. People are such dead giveaways on social media. You understand the triggers of that person. That person is nonstop, you know, posting photos of themselves at various restaurants. Take them to a restaurant to pitch them. You've got your opening right there. If they get lit up from being seen at the latest thing, book a table at the latest restaurant if it's worth that level of pitch. People share so much about their deepest, darkest aspirations and likes on social. You can build a profile of a person pretty quickly. So make it personal. That's really interesting. And for you, how important is trust when you're self-employed? Trust is fundamental to any relationship. And trust is the thing that, you know, you take most for granted. And trust is the thing that you can be burnt by or rewarded most by. If there's an opportunity to test and learn before you deep dive, you know, test and learn and maybe offer up something to your client and say, look, I understand that, you know, I'm a new business and you may not necessarily know that you can trust me with your whole budget. Would you be open to a test and learn budget where I can show you that we're a great brand and a great partnership that you can trust? You can open up the trust conversation. And when you do that, you're saying to them, you value trust and you're willing to put that on the table as an agenda item. The other thing is you can say as a small or big business owner, the way that we do our invoicing is we do ask for a deposit up front. That's because I need to engage 
a team of people and I start doing the work up front. And of course, you trust me to deliver the rest of the project on time where you will finish the payment. And it creates, you know, trust with me and you to make sure that I get to work straight away. There are things that you can build in that mitigate the risk. Because when you're working out of that fear of risk, you actually don't put your best foot forward. It's true. And when you've got that really great client relationship bedded in and that trust is being built, it's joyous. And how do you had your time again? Is there anything you'd go back and not do again? I probably wouldn't fritter my energy away as much as I have. I would probably take on less projects at the same time. And I think that distraction and wanting to be all things to everyone is a waste of resources. One of the things that you do have to be careful of with social media, I would say, is getting not jealous, but uh, distracted with what your competition is doing. I think you really need to stick to your knitting and just know that there's a place in the sun for everyone. And if you just buckle down and do what you're really good at, you will find your audience. I love it. Did you say stick to your knitting? Yeah. It's so easy to get distracted. By distraction, I mean lose your confidence. By distracted, I mean get envious, think that you're not good enough, you're too new, you're too expensive, you're too cheap. When you look outside of your own path, you get the death wobbles, like when you're skiing. And I think you just need to look straight ahead and follow that path. And then if at the end of that path, you don't want to continue or it hasn't been successful, then do something else, but not midstream. What is it you enjoy the most about being self-employed and your own boss? The flexibility is amazing. And the directions that you can go, I don't have to please a committee. If I have an idea that I'm really passionate about, particularly in a digital age, I've been around in business for a long time, like a pre-digital age. And so I sound like a dinosaur when I say in the digital age, but (laughs) I know what it was like before and I know what it's like after. And now it's so much easier to start, to fail, to start again, to try and to test and learn, you know, in different markets, in different ways. I love that. I love that about being an entrepreneur I think that it's such an exciting time and you know you can do it as a side hustle or you can you know really ramp up you can get funding there's just so many ways to express yourself as a business person and what is it you enjoy the least about being self-employed I think it's lonely really yes I do I think not having colleagues is difficult yeah you're right and I think that's where joining networking groups is worthwhile even industry bodies as you know naff as it might sound it does give you a cohort to connect with. And I think that that's important because the longer you go, the more you realize that you are missing that element. And as your business scales up, it might be that you get a board together. Being self-employed and setting up a company, you can spend a lot of time on your own and not have anyone interjecting with advice and guidance. Or even arguing with you or telling you no. <laughs> because if you if you think about it, it is good to be challenged because your idea is not always the best idea and it hasn't been fully developed. So it is nice to have um, a network. Is there any golden nugget of advice that you'd want to impart to anyone starting a company this year? I mean, you've shared a lot. I would say that this is counterintuitive, but I, I will say this. I would give anyone the permission to close their business whenever they want to. There is no shame in pulling up stumps and saying, I don't want to do this anymore. This doesn't work anymore. This isn't me anymore. This isn't what I signed up for. I think one of the things that no one ever gives us permission to do as entrepreneurs or people who start businesses is to close the business. And you're absolutely within your right to close it whenever you please. 
being self-employed is incredibly stressful at times. And if that's not what you want in your life, you're allowed not to do that. You're allowed to do it at any stage of the game. I know a couple of entrepreneurs in Australia that actually quit at the height of their success for various reasons. And it seemed really counterintuitive and shocking, but it actually makes perfect sense. Whenever you're done, because the business is really an extension of you, if you don't want to do it anymore, permission to stop. That's genius. Thank you, Baha, so much for your time today. It's been wonderful to chat to you. And I've loved being on your podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed speaking to Baha as I have so much admiration for her given she has persevered against all the odds. She really has owned her self-belief, especially through the toughest times. I thought her point about knowing that she's built her business once meant that she knows that she can do it again was really powerful. If you'd like to contact Baha and hear more about rescue.com.au, you'll find all of her details in the show notes as well as a recap of the advice she has shared. Thank you for listening to How to Start Up, hosted by me, Juliet Fallowfield, founder of PR consultancy for startups Fallowfield and Mason. I hope these conversations offer you some confidence, encouragement and reassurance that you're on the right track. I would be delighted if you'd rate, review and share this podcast with anyone else who might be starting a company in 2020.